Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Drive Home Podcast with me, Max Porter. This is the 11th episode. In this installment, I'm going to be discussing the incredibly saddening Belarus-Poland border crisis. What is happening at the border between Poland and Belarus? Why, and how can it stop? To learn more, I'm going to be talking with European Council on Foreign Relations Senior Policy Fellow, Gustav Gressel. All this and much more, I hope you enjoy. The sources used in the research of this story include Wikipedia, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, New York Times, GlobalCitizen.org, The Guardian, and Reuters. Immigrants from Mexico flowing across the Rio Grande in Texas. Afghan refugees clinging onto planes, fleeing the oppression of the Taliban. A migrant boat sinking in the English Channel on the way to Britain killing dozens. Migrant crises are a common sight nowadays that most of us have luckily only viewed, not been a part of. While there have been many refugee events over the years, arguably nothing has come close to the severity of the ongoing Belarus-Poland border crisis in Eastern Europe. Currently, up to 4,000 migrants, men, women, and children from the Middle East and Africa are trapped on the Belarusian side of the 260-mile-long Belarus-Poland border. In past weeks, the number of immigrants was far higher. The migrants are concentrated in massive numbers at certain locations along the border, in large camps. These people hope to cross into Poland, and most want to keep going and move further west, eventually reaching stable Western European countries and making these nations home. However, tens of thousands of border troops on the Polish side, from Poland and allied nations like Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, are using tear gas, water cannons, their hands, batons, and the border wall to hold them back. Poland is especially adamant in keeping the migrants in Belarus, fueled by their far-right government's ideology that non-European immigrants are a threat to Polish culture and sovereignty. Poland has declared a state of emergency and recently approved a 353 million euro plan to build an improved border wall. Migrants at the border are involved in a dire situation. Not wanting to return to their native countries, these individuals are subjecting themselves at the border to lack of shelter, food, water, medical aid, and the freezing winter that is getting worse by the day. So far, at least 17 refugees are dead. Belarus is refusing to let Polish and European humanitarian groups cross the border to help these people. Belarus and their leader, Alexander Lukashenko, dubbed the last dictator of Europe, have been accused by European countries of shuffling migrants to the border in response to European sanctions for their irresponsible and undemocratic actions over the years, including a rigged 2020 election, a crackdown on anti-government protests last year, and the Ryanair Flight 4978 incident in which the Belarusian government diverted a public flight, carrying a critic of Lukashenko, and arrested him. However, the circumstances of how this crisis arose and the status at the border are overall foggy details because of the censorship of the Polish and Belarusian governments. To learn more, I will now be talking with Gustav Gressel, a European Council on Foreign Relations senior policy fellow who specializes in Eastern European affairs. Honestly, there's probably no one more knowledgeable of this situation than the Polish and Belarusian leaders themselves. Hello, Mr. Gressel. Good morning, good morning. My name is Gustav Gressel. I work for the European Council on Foreign Relations. That's a private think tank. It's not an EU-affiliated body, as, as some believe. 
Uh, I worked in the wider Europe program, so that's the program that covers Eastern Eastern Europe, uh, Western Balkans, and Turkey. And because I'm a former military officer and an MOD official uh, in Austria, I of course cover all the kinetic aspects, so basically the wars that happen in in that particular region, but but sometimes also beyond that uh, when Russia goes global. Um, yeah, and all sort of military-related issues. I do a bit of arms control um, and and uh, sort of all the peace negotiation issues and means, etc. So that's that's sort of my daily work. Is Belarusian uh, President Alexandra Lukashenko really the cause of this border crisis, like has been speculated? And in what ways has he been encouraging uh, migrants to cross into the European Union illegally, if at all? Uh, Belarus is, is sort of the prime arbiter in, in this. Uh, Alexander Lukashenko wants to keep pressure on the EU to sort of have counter pressure to the sanctions. He wants to be a list, recognized as the legitimate president of Belarus and he wants to have sanctions lifted. Uh, and he perceives that sort of this is um, a good way to, to, to exert pressure on you and to sort of play on divisions within the European Union. Um, I mean, there have been preludes to that. Uh, uh, Moscow, for example, used uh, my, sort of the migrant issue as a pressure tool against Finland and Norway uh, some years ago. Um, uh, Lukashenko now decided to do that on a larger scale. So, I mean, we had sort of the first preparations in starting in March um, <clears throat> and uh, the opening of consulates uh, in several Middle Eastern states, particularly then Iraq, uh, where they had sort of issued the permission to honorary consuls to kind of grant visas. They had a large liberalization of visas. They, they sort of started to look uh, for planes on hire, which was not very difficult in a pandemic because most of the planes were grounded, so you could easily hire them. Mm-hmm. Um, I made sort of easy entry arrangements for for whoever wanted to come. Mm-hmm. And those people are then basically taken into quasi-custody by uh, the by the Belarusian KGB uh, and then sort of handed over to the border guards to, to be sort of pushed across the border and guided were sort of, I mean, it was several phases. At first, they were guided across the border. And then when Poland started and Lithuania started to build up a fence, they basically were guided and around the fence at places where <clears throat> there were still loopholes. Mm-hmm. When there were sort of the loopholes being plugged, they were equipped with, or some of them being equipped with uh, wire cutters and letters and other things to cross it. And uh, then basically... Um, they have been pushed into defense at a late stage or or pushed towards Poland uh, when sort of you saw these famous standoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Now it seems that this sort of this time of the standoff has been winded down, but people are sort of trying to make their way either independently or or, or basically around the, the guarded places. Um, the transfer of people into Belarus still continues. Um, it's um, now there's still planes landing from Istanbul. There's still planes landing from um, from other countries in the Middle East. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I think Doha is also quite odd. But there's sort of the policy that Russia has issued easy, easy student visas to people from the Middle East. They come 
to Moscow and then put into a plane to Minsk and flew there. So uh, these kind of the, they they issued to interdict this kind of movements that not not hasn't really been achieved mm-hmm. so far. Is there a possibility of serious military conflict because of this border crisis? So the the, the border crisis that really has a chance of being escalated is the Russian Ukrainian one, not the Belarusian Polish one. Mm. Um, I mean, there were uh, deployments of military forces, uh, but uh, the sort of Polish border, first Poland deployed the military as an auxiliary force to the border guards, so not sort of soldiers with tanks and artillery, but sort of soldiers on foot just to help out um, uh, guarding the border, uh, which is not unusual for, for Europe. I mean, we had a lot of countries doing that um, for for quite a long time and especially during the refugee crisis but uh those who are on eu external borders also also in between that's nothing unusual and of course belarus sort of hyperventilated and then russia deployed um uh, paratroopers as a counter force um i mean for, for moscow this works well because there have been very long pressuring uh, lukashenko to accept the russian a sort of further russian military base mm-hmm. or bases and of course the weaker the uh, lukashenko is and and the more um, uh, sort of the more uh, pretexts there are to deploy forces into Belarus, uh, the better for Russia because they want this uh, since since actually since for quite a long time. Um, I mean, Russia's Russia's sort of uh, position in in the refugee thing is um, it works both ends for them. Um, if Lukashenko really succeeds in pressuring the EU down to get a kind of deal to be recognized as former president and to have sanctions lifted and to get some support for uh, for the migrants as he demanded it, like or as as also Lavrov suggested, the EU could do, then basically the EU would pay Russia's bill in Belarus to keep up the regime. Um, if it does not succeed and Belarus uh, and Lukashenko is even more isolated than it was before, there are harsh sanctions and they're more crippling for him. Then Russia has more a stronger leverage on Belarus to demand military basing and to demand progress in its 28 chapters of union state integration that Moscow has put on the table and Lukashenko has so far not responded at all. Um, so they can't lose in this game. It's either way, it's going to end end up good for them, uh, and that's why Putin is basically playing along and trying to here and there help out uh, Lukashenko with some uh, diversion routes, etc. Uh, unfortunately, the Europeans have not yet uh, come to a sanctions regime that would um, sort of put uh, put pressure on facilitating states uh, like the United Arab Emirates or mm-hmm. like uh, like Russia, uh, and that's unfortunate. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts till it comes, but uh, I, I guess it will be necessary. Uh, the Russian, the Russian Ukrainian border situation. That's of course that's really a military issue. So there we have um, deployments and preparations for actual mm-hmm. war going on. Uh, but it's, it's it's a different affair. It happens at the same time as the Belarusian border crisis, but it's a different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a very scary situation uh, going on over there. And I mean, uh, that'll be something that in this podcast I'll definitely be covering. What is holding back aid from getting to the migrants uh, still at the border? Um, and how can this be solved? That's a tricky issue. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, because uh, First of all, there's sort of the kind of abandoned migrants that are stranded sort of in between where the Poles say that this is not our territory yet and the Belarusians say, well, that's not our foyers anymore. And they're kind of pushing these people 
in between. Uh, the second thing is sort of the structure of the Belarusian regime. Um, you don't don't have private charities. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, Lukashenko demands money. Uh, the, the EU has provided some limited funds for the Belarusian Red Cross, but the problem is the Belarusian Red Cross, of course, is uh, controlled by the Belarusian Ministry of Health. So uh, the suspicion that sort of Belarus will siphon off uh, any larger amounts of financial aid mm-hmm. Uh, into its own pockets and and leaves nothing for the refugees and use them rather sort of as pretext to just uh, just gain money uh, is is there and it's a well it's well as point um, and uh, and it, sort of in this situation I mean it's the the problem with with this situation is that that the refugees are kind of hostages uh, of the situation of the Belarusian regime. And in any hostage situation, of course, uh, when you sort of have the police and entering uh, or doing something or sort of surrounding the, the, the situation where you have this hostage situation, uh, the hostage negotiator has, has to keep two things in mind. Of course, he wants as much hostages to survive as safely and, and uh, as possible. You want to save human lives. But on the other hand, you can't sort of, you have this kind of public security rationale that you can't let the hostage taker get away with it. Yeah. Um, uh, so you, you, I mean, for, for 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 the police, this is easier because at some point the hostage taker or the takers get tired, and you sort of you play for the situation where you can send in the SWAT team. Mm-hmm. But of course, in Belarus, being part of the, the the Union state, and there's an a very explicit nuclear guarantee from the Russian side, there is no SWAT team coming into Belarus. Um, that's not the option. So you have to perpetually negotiate but with the rationale in mind that sort of Lukashenko is trying to pressure to, to pressure out concessions to you and these people are just the pretext to do that so again the the thing is uh, if you if if the EU had uh, adopted stricter sanctions on companies facilitating uh, uh, the traffic uh, you could interdict and sort of get down the numbers of people coming to Belarus below to, to sort of to an insufficient normal not to allow him to really weaponize this mm-hmm. and once that is reached um sort of to take in those who come is not the big problem because the absolute numbers are not that high mm-hmm. it, it it's still sort of kind of 10 percent of the average asylum pledges of germany alone per year that that is stranded or sort of the total number of people stranded in belarus um so it's it's not you know uh, Oswald Spengler riding the horses of the apocalypse of, of the Christian West if these people come in. That's nonsense. But the problem is that sort of they're, they're used to extort, their fate is used to extort money and to extort mm. concessions from the West. We are not in a purely humanitarian situation. And that makes it all tricky here. Despite the improvement in the situation, how will this crisis end altogether? And I guess specifically, uh, does this start with uh, Lukashenko um, stopping shuffling uh, migrants to the border or the European Union getting into demands and uh, loosening sanctions? No, I think sort of we will see a further tightening of sanctions, uh, uh, also campaigns with with the countries of origin in the Middle East Mm -hmm. um, to... um, Iraq actually was very cooperative on that. They took back citizens stranded there. Uh, they they shut down, they withdrew accreditations of Belarusian uh, consulates to kind of shut down the supply. Uh, all, all these efforts need to be more concentrated to kind of dwindle down uh, 
uh, uh, the supply of people also to to actively communicate um, in these societies in Iraq, uh, in Syria, with the media you still have that can do that. Uh, look, you're, you end up mid, in the middle of the winter in the no man's land, mm-hmm. and you, this is not the safe passage. This is not sort of a gentle, you're not gently walk into the arms of, of, of Europe as the Belarusians promise you it would be. This, you're going to be abused. Um, mm-hmm. That's 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 unfortunately the thing to sort of because a lot of these people go voluntarily you know they're not, not forced they sort of they pay at, at for, for their salary for their standard of living uh, they actually pay quite a lot so you know it's a double extortion from the eu but also from these people who are who are deprived of years of earning uh and 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 once they dwindle down, you you can basically uh, you can I mean sort of it will probably not announce publicly, but there are means to get people across, and then you sort of uh, you help those who are stranded to get them out of where they are as quick as possible. Uh, but that said, that can only happen after you have solved the overall political issue, and that's basically you have to you have to show to Lukashenko that. This is extortion will not work, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that might take uh, quite some time. Thank you so much, Mr. Gressel, for sitting down with me uh, and talking about this crisis. I couldn't have asked for um, a more appropriate person to talk about this. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. And now for the headlines of the week. Trials for two key moments of the Black Lives Matter movement, Kyle Rittenhouse shooting three Kenosha, Wisconsin, BLM protesters and killing two, and the murder of an unarmed black man named Ahmed Aubrey, who was shot by three white men, came to an end recently. On November 19th, a jury found Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty of homicide and believed his self-defense claims. On November 24th, the three men convicted of killing Ahmed Aubrey were found guilty and face up to life in prison. The world is grappling with the emergence of the Omicron COVID-19 variant. Originally discovered in Southern Africa on November 11th, the variant has already spread to 17 countries as of November 29th, including Australia and the United Kingdom. It is a matter of if, not when, it will come to the United States. Early studies of the variant show that it may be more transmissible than the Delta variant. Dr. Anthony Fauci says it is too early to determine if Omicron will become the dominant strain in the U.S. The brother of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who resigned because of sexual misconduct allegations in August, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo, has been accused of participating in strategy discussions with his brother for how to handle the accusations and of using media sources to find out information on the accusers, despite the fact that he testified under oath that he wasn't in frequent contact with Andrew. CNN has investigated and suspended Cuomo indefinitely on Tuesday. The trial for Jelaine Maxwell, a partner and associate of American financer and sexual predator Jeffrey Epstein from the early 1990s until his death in 2019, began on Monday, November 29th. She has been accused of aiding Epstein's abuse of dozens of young girls by grooming them and bringing them to Epstein from the early 1990s to the early 2000s. She faces up to 35 years in prison if convicted. There has been a lot of news recently regarding the British monarchy, particularly 95-year-old Queen Elizabeth. 
The queen has had a few health scares in the past few months. Consequentially, she's had to miss numerous public appearances at the advice of her doctors. The public has been very concerned, but her son, Prince Charles, thankfully says that she is feeling, quote, far better. Another story related to the British royals is that the Caribbean island of Barbados, a former territory of the United Kingdom for over 300 years, up until 55 years ago, dropped Queen Elizabeth as its ceremonial head of state, cutting the island off from the royal family entirely and making it a republic. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, here's the quote of the week. It doesn't take a declaration or an invasion to start a war. All it takes is an us and a them and a spark by the author Ada Palmer. Think about these words as you consider the tendency of humans to other other people without trying to understand them first. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or want to be on the podcast or help with the production of it, feel free to contact me at max.porter at worcesternet.org or on Worcester's campus.